This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Walton's Inc., Aluma Trailers, OnX Hunt, Nutrisource Pet Foods, and by Chief Upland. Today I'm talking with my bird hunting buddy, Ben Bredigan. Ben is one of the best bird hunters that I've ever walked a field with. We'll discuss how you can become a more confident bird hunter like Ben. Plus, we'll dig into his season hunting a variety of birds across the country with his veteran dogs and his new puppy, Amos. Plus, we'll do a bird hunting gear review. If you're a bird hunter or just a hunter like me, or if you're a chef or really anybody that likes to make food, then you probably would be interested in products that are sold at Walton's. There are many places that you can buy products to process and prepare your meat. There are not a lot of places that you can buy those products and learn how to use them from experts. Walton's is that place. They have everything, and I mean everything, for your cooking and wild game processing needs. Plus, they have the experts on staff to help you learn how to use their products to get the best results. John Tremblay hosts their Meatgistics podcast, live streams, and live chats, which are interactive learning tools for the meat processing community. If you have questions, John and his team have the answers from sausage making to smoking, recipes to seasoning, and so much more. They've got you covered. Walton's products ship the same day you order, and while they have nearly every brand you'd ever want to purchase, they also have their own line of Walton's grinders, mixers, stuffers, slicers, vacuum sealers, and so much more. In my opinion, they're like the Amazon of the meat processing world. Order the same seasonings and supplies that professionals use from the best name in the wild game industry. Walton's, they have everything but the meat. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Morton. As always, is our producer. Thank you, Brandon, for making us sound so wonderful all the time. Um, and right now, I'm sitting on the ice. Ben Bredigan is my guest. We're sitting in my ice castle fish house that is actually doing what it's supposed to do, which is be a fish house. The last time we did a podcast in this, actually, no, we did one last winter out here, yep, Ben. Yeah, we did. We did, but we have also done one from the prairie. This is my bird camp. This is my do-it-all, get-away-from-home uh, camper. Yeah, Yep. I would have to say there's more people out here than there were as a Montana. So. <laughs> so Ben and I grew up together. We live in Waconia, the same town in um, in central Minnesota. We're about an hour west of the Twin Cities. We're sitting on Lake Waconia. And as I look out the window right now, Ben, I'm guessing, I don't even want to guess how many fish oh houses there gosh. are. It's insane. It is insane. This lake is 3,000 acres in size. And... This time of the year in January on a busy weekend, it's not uncommon to see over a thousand fish houses That's out That's what here. I was going to say, yes. Yeah. I think the most, there's probably a couple of years ago, the bite was hot and the word was out and we probably had <laughs> close to close to 2,000 fish houses. And at night, I mean, the lights on these houses I are, know. it's like we're in the middle of the Carver County Festival. Yeah. Like, it or, looks like a rave out here or something. <laughs> blinking lights. I know. And, I know. It's yeah. crazy. It's crazy. But it's a Monday morning and we're drinking coffee 
and we're going to talk hunting and we're going to um, reminisce a little bit. We're also going to be sad together. Yeah, uh, I know there's a lot of you that are sad with us right now because yesterday was the end of the season for quite a few bird hunters across the country. And uh, of course, here in Minnesota, it ended dang near a month ago already. Yeah. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, it, you know, in January, there's still enough seasons open where it's like, okay, I, I, I think I can sneak out one more trip. But yeah. after end of January, yeah, there's still some seasons open, but it's like, okay, this is kind of the official end of the season. Yeah. So, yeah. So if you go down south, you lucky rascals, you're yeah. still hunting. Uh, I know that, you know, some of the seasons in quail country go through February and uh, we're happy for you. We're yeah. happy for you. Are you going to go, Feb are you going to go bird hunting anywhere? I don't think so. I think I'm officially done here for a while and I'm going to go down. I'm going to go down to Tennessee though and watch uh, Ames Plantation go to the national championship and watch dogs run down there. So. Bring an Amos? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. He's a good dog. Like, Bring the dog. <laughs> uh, no, I will not be... I have not uh, been blessed to bring my dog <laughs> down. The, I should just show up and be like, I'm ready to run. Right, right? Put me in. What number hey, do I can get? Can I borrow one of your guys' horses? <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. When is that hunt? Uh, so it's just a, it's, it's a big field trial. And, uh, oh yeah, the field, the field trial. I'm sorry, trial, the event, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that is the, I think it's the first week in February. So Okay. Or Sorry, oh, yeah, no, no, second week. It's like the 10th or something so like that. So a couple so, days yeah, you're going to be heading down there. Yeah, I'm headed to, yeah. Have you been before? No, never have. And what makes you want to go? Uh, they are probably some of the best caliber of dogs in, they are. They're the best caliber pointers you will see. And um, just just guys that obviously really know what they're doing. And, and you know, you take our dogs, like right, big running dogs. Yep. And then you look at those big all-age field trial dogs and it's just a completely different caliber. So just to go watch that and experience it. I mean, they've been doing it forever. It's pretty yeah. steeped in tradition. So it'll be fun to go watch that. What's the most common breed? Pointers. Is it all English pointers? Yeah, they they do have some setters as well, but it's it's predominantly pointers now, and that's kind of transitioned from before. I think, you know, back in the six fifty, sixty, seventies, a lot more setters, but now it's predominantly pointers. So, do you think you'll ever enter? Oh, I don't like for that. There's no way. I mean, why? Oh, there's these. I mean, you're talking guys that do it for a living. They're they're raising three, four litters of puppies. Yeah, and to, then they pick the the cream of the crop. Yep, and you know it's just a different style. So I did. I I ran Amos in some cover dog field trials, but how did it go? It was great. It was fun. Um, so we ran one in. It would have been in October up in northeast or northwest Wisconsin, and he got third. Really, for a derby. So that's like all the young dogs, and so he entered into his age class, which would have been eight months. Well, so he was, so he technically should have ran puppy, but you can run derby up until I think they're like two, two and a half years old or something like that. Okay. So I said, what the heck? Because a puppy is just yeah. more like a fun thing. You don't get anything. So I said, oh, what the heck? I'll run the derby. Yeah, and he got third. So. Wow. I remember seeing a picture of you on Instagram and, and uh, yeah. standing behind that pup. How <laughs> old is he now and how old is was he when you entered him? Uh, so he was, he'll be coming up on a year here, I think in end of February. So he was at that time, he was only like eight months old, 
nine months old. So wow. he was still pretty young, but I just said, what the heck? And yeah. just wanted to go meet, meet the, meet the people that do it and, and, you know, great group of folks. So it was fun just to just be around that. And then they'll run them in the spring too. So I'm going to get ready this spring and run them in probably five or six different trials this spring. So walk me through what's going through your mind before you get into this trial. Like what, what does your dog have to do when you show up there? So it's, it's simple and it's complicated. Like I took the simple approach, like, Oh, I, just cause I didn't know. Right. Yeah. So essentially it's a, like for a derby, they're running generally a half hour, uh, brace. So you're running two dogs together on a predetermined course through the woods. So, so you, and then somebody else with their dog yep. would be the second. So you've got, you've got two handlers, two dogs, uh, judges, and then the gallery follows behind you. And they've got this essentially just like, oh, I'd love of, to be in the gallery. Yeah. <laughs> I love, oh boy, Amos, there he goes. He's loose. <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's, uh, you just follow this course and like the, the older dogs, the, the open all age dogs, they just, uh, or shooting dogs. They do an hour course through the woods. It's all wild birds, grouse and woodcock. So, um, and essentially what you're looking for is a dog that stays out in front of you. You don't want them getting behind you and is hunting, hunting likely cover, you know, keeping up a same pace, looking for birds. And then, you know, that course is meandering, right? So these dogs are anywhere from a hundred to 300 yards out from you. So they've got a, it, it's, it's interesting. They've got to have enough independence to like get out there and run, but not too much where they're, you know, getting lost and getting behind yeah. you and that kind of thing. And so what can you do with the dog? Can you run them? You know, like you and I, we both use the same training method. Yep. So do you, are you able to talk to them on your GPS? Nope. So, so that's you the just got to let them go. So they do have a GPS collar, but okay. you have to hand the judge the, the receiver, the transmitter, just because, you know, just so you don't lose a dog or mm -hmm. whatnot. But mm -hmm. yeah, so it's, it's, kind of counterintuitive to the the hunt smith method because yeah. you, you kind of they call it singing to them so you know it's all just vocal like so you're out there talking the whole time yep okay. just making sure the dog knows and and some of the guys are way like different level like you know they'll sing to them in a different voice and that really? means do this do that yeah. so Dogs yeah. are amazing creatures and how, oh my and how gosh. There are, that's why people say, you know, like I get random messages from people all the time. Like, Hey, I'm what, how should I train my dog? Who should I talk to? I'm like, gosh, oh. there's so many, so many ways you can go about training them. And you, you and I have both went with the Hunt Smith mm -hmm. um, training, silent command training system. And I think we both probably love it yes. um, based on our experiences and recommend it. I recommend it all the time, but it's not for everybody because some people want to be talking to their dog. Some people, you know, they have different goals, I guess. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting though, that you're out there in the woods singing to the dog yep. out there. So was it an AVDA event or was it somebody else? So that, that is, it's all under the AFTCA, it's called American Field Trial Club America, whatever, something like that. Yeah. I'll probably get somebody'll correct me. Yeah. Don't, yeah. I'm not, I'm, That's fine. But um yeah, so it's it kind of kind of governs all the different uh field trials in the country, whether so it's 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 outside of it's outside of the versatile dog. It's all pretty much all bird work pointing 
et cetera. So, and what do they get graded on? They're holding a bird. They're hunting with you, staying ahead of you. Yeah. Any, anything else? Yeah. So for the derbies, it's like bird work is a bonus, right? If they, I mean, in terms of, of steadiness, so they're not, they don't require a steady dog where you get to like the shooting dog. Then it's, once they, once they get on point, they have to hold the bird or stop to flush if they happen to bump a bird um, and study to wing and shot where the, the younger dogs, the derby dogs, they just, you know, they're graded on it, right? Like they want to be able to find bird, but the manners behind the bird and study to wing and shot is not, they still have to shoot, but it's if the dog breaks. It's fine. It's more for the Derby. It's more like uh, identifying the potential of a dog to be a good shooting dog. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting world. Super. Were, were interesting. you intimidated to do it, or yeah. was it more? You were intimidated. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I was, but you're glad you did it. Yeah, super glad. Um, I, I was lucky enough that I I just met someone online, and they happened to be going to that same trial, and so that was super. It, that was super helpful, a. Eh? And then I had went to one last spring actually, and just w- walked all the all the courses with the dogs, and just that was nice because then I got you familiar. didn't have your dog there, so yeah. you were able to just kind of take it in exactly. Because yeah. that was like even even running the draughts in that system, like half of at least where I get my nerves from is like is n- n- not knowing what to be doing, where I should be going, mm-hmm. even not knowing people there. So it was nice to kind of have met some of the people so I could have some, you know, I could sit and chit chat and not just like stand in the corner and try to fake small talk type deal. And so that was nice. But yeah, I was, I was nervous about it. So it's interesting that we get nervous about that. I would probably be the same way because it's like, Oh, come on, Daisy, don't don't let me down girl. But you know, like you, um, you go into it assuming that everybody has just these awesome dogs mm-hmm. that know exactly what they're supposed to do. And you're like, will I live up to it? Yeah. You know? So that's intimidating in itself. And then you might have, you might be somebody that's like, well, I trained my own dog, you know, these are professional trainers and mm-hmm. they're running their dogs. So that's intimidating too. But you're saying, and most people that I've talked to that have ran them have all said the same thing. They're like, oh man, I met some really cool people yes. and they really helped me out. They gave me some great pointers. They, you know, like it should not be intimidating because it's not like you walk out and there's a bunch of people you know, like you're back in grade school and they're just watching you, you know, yeah, and like, then, oh, this, oh this. there he goes. Oh, he lost it. <laughs> he, he dropped lost his it. lunch tray. What a loser. What a loser. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's none of that. No, it's just all guys. I mean, it's, this is all amateur stuff. So it's all guys that are out there having fun. And, and one of the guys that he's, he's goes and trials all around the country. And I was paired with him. Amos was paired with him. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, we'll see how it goes. And yeah. I think he lost his dog within the first 10 minutes. It really? ran away. So, oh. and he's just like, yeah, that's, you know, that's part of the game. Like it's, the, it. I've got seven dogs with me and yeah, I'm sure I'll lose a couple. It's fine. Yeah. So, oh. yeah, but, but that's a big, I mean, the people again, you meet in those kind of things, they're all, they all love to hunt and just good folks to know and, and mm. hang around with. Well, I wasn't planning on going into the field trial discussion, but yeah. since we're here, I did want to talk about your your puppy. Yeah. Um, because you spent, you know, well, here, let's do this. Let's reset. You hunt, do you have any, any idea how many days you hunted this year? Uh-huh. 
<laughs> 84 days. 84 days. 84 okay. days. So I know that you spent about three weeks in Montana because I spent one of them with you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so you started in Montana yep. on September 1st. And then you spent, you know, the better part of September in Montana. Where'd you go from there? So after I left Montana, I was like, okay, I've got to take a break here and just just reset here. And yeah. that lasted four days. <laughs> got home and the next week and I was like, I kinda wanna go hunting again. So I had spent so I spent all of October all at the end of so I came home a few days early in September. So hunted the last week in September and all of October in northern Minnesota, northern Wisconsin, grouse hunting. Yeah. So well, we can pick each one of these apart, which I think we should. So Montana um, was mostly sharp-tailed grouse, Hungarian partridge. Yep. Right? A lot of discussion going into the season was drought. What are we going to see? Um, how would you rate this year in Montana in September versus last year? I would say it was very similar to last year. I think the the hardest part, and it's been talked about before, but the the emergency hanging grazing, yeah. uh, a lot of the habitat was was grazed down or hayed, and so what I was seeing is that there was less cover available to the birds. But when you found the cover, there were a, a lot, lot of birds. birds. So yeah. it was just a matter of of going out and finding those different covers and, and I, you know, being there for a month, mm -hmm. you have to find a lot of covers because you, you hunt one. I try not to hunt them more than once a week and you just, all those birds, they feel the pressure. They'll go and sit on private land where they're not being accosted by hunters. So, yeah. um, but yeah, it's just getting out and finding new ground. And, and so I thought it was, I thought it was very comparable to last year. You did. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. Um, then in Minnesota and Wisconsin, a lot of time in the grouse woods, um, woodcock. Mm -hmm. My experience from this past season hunting grouse and woodcock in northern Minnesota, I didn't make it to Wisconsin like you, but it was phenomenal. I, what was yeah. your success or what was your hunts like for grouse and woodcock? Yeah, it was it was a great year in and yeah, they talk about the cycle, right? We're coming down off mm -hmm. the ten year cycle. Because what if that peaks and years ending in like nine, I can't I think honestly it's nine, I can't even 10, keep track one, anymore because something like that yeah it depends who you talk to I swear there's people that are it's on the way up and then the yeah. next guy you talk to says it's on the way down and I'm like how do you get it straight guys I don't know I just see what I see in the field I, exactly, and, I go hunting either way mm -hmm. I don't not hunt based on the cycle yeah um, I thought this was if you asked me, I'd be like, it's on its way up. Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. I thought yeah. this year was definitely, and I hunted a lot more this year, but I thought it was, it, it was a great year. I couldn't, I, yeah. I would be happy if every single year was just like this. So, yeah. so if we're on a down year, I can't wait for it to go up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so you found that in Wisconsin and Minnesota? Yeah, everywhere. Okay. Everywhere I really hunted uh, forest grouse this year, it seemed to be great. Um, you know, you, I don't hunt super hard. Like I'm not burning at daylight till dusk, but, you know, moving between 18 and 25, 26 birds a day. So like that's, yeah, I'm happy with that. Public for land. Grouse. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 
Okay, so then from Minnesota, uh, now we're in mid-October, right? Then where'd you go? So, yeah, so I hunted. It was all of October was all grouse. Okay. And then the end of the year, I said I wasn't going to hunt pheasants in September, but I did the last, I think, last one day in, in October. From there, I went to, I think I kicked the pheasant season off in South Dakota this year in November. Okay. And I spent, I think, over the course of November and December, I spent probably, so in, in November, I think, I spent two weeks in South Dakota. Okay. And I, I think the, the bird numbers were definitely down significantly Overall. from last year. Mm -hmm. I think that's common from a lot of the people I talked yep. to. They they said, you know, kind of the, we talked, you touched on the, the emergency hang. Um, that's a big deal, mm -hmm. especially out there. Um, but just overall, um, you know, they didn't have the same recruitment on mm -hmm. on birds this year. A lot of adults, older birds, and um, which is concerning, uh, you know. And I and I talked to, I was just texting with uh, a landowner that you know manages his property just beautifully for mm -hmm. wild birds. He's never planted a bird on it, and he's in Central South Dakota. And he said, you know, a lot of hens at, to close out the season. Um, and a lot of adult birds mm -hmm. and they're nervous. He's nervous because it's dry again. It's still yeah. dry out there. And they haven't had much, I don't think they've had much to speak of for snow. Yeah. So yep. not much snow out there. We're, we're looking at snow drifts around us right now. Yeah. They could use this. They could yeah. definitely use it. So what did you, what did you take away from South Dakota besides birds being you know down just a little bit? You know, the biggest thing is, yeah, the bird numbers were down, but I never regretted going out and hunting South Dakota because still, well, we can talk about this in a second, but it's still really good. But um, the biggest thing is finding the perfect habitat because on years that the bird numbers are good, you can hunt marginal habitat and still get into birds. But this year I was really just focusing on like, all right, I'm going to hunt the best area. So it's not, not hunting, taking a giant field and hunting the whole thing a big a big crp field and just doing hot laps around it it was all right i'm gonna go in and these are five objectives i want to hit and go and hunt those ones and i found when i did that i was able to be more efficient and run into more birds where on better years i would just sit and maybe zigzag a whole field instead of hunting around the edges so hmm. Yeah, we're going to, I want to dive into how to be a more confident hunter. Mm -hmm. And I know you're as confident as they get. And I, <laughs> I love when I get to go out with you because I'm like, oh, it's, it's, a lot he's, of the times he's a killer. It's false yeah. confidence. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm pumping you up here, Ben. I am telling the truth. Yeah. And I know anybody that's hunted with you would agree that mm. uh, if you, if I get to go, there's a couple people that I know. And when I get to go hunt with, with them, it's going to be good, and you're one of them. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you spent you know a couple of weeks in South Dakota in November. Then yep. where'd you go? So from there, I went down to Kansas the week before Thanksgiving. I go down there with some friends from Mississippi and Arkansas and okay. went there, and kind of a similar story. Um, really spotty down there, actually, which was interesting. What do you mean by spotty? So you could go drive 30 miles in, let's just say you're hunting a spot, and bird numbers are okay. They're not great. I could drive 30 miles and hunt a different piece and there'd be birds everywhere and drive another 30 miles and it, the birds were bad. So do you think it, could you see a difference in habitat from moisture, lack of moisture, more moisture? Was that the key or was yeah. there something else going on? I think that it was the key. I couldn't, you couldn't see it on the landscape 
but it's just like it's to the timing of moisture it's like these certain areas had maybe a squall that went over it during may yeah the perfect time that yep. the birds could utilize it so uh but overall it was i mean it was terribly dry there as well quail and pheasant quail and pheasants yeah i would say the quail fared well I don't know. It was about the same. It was the kind of about the same decrease year over year pheasants and quail and still coming off of that. I think like three, four years ago down in Kansas, quail numbers were like unreal. So, so do you think you're um, holding on to those memories from three or four years ago where it was so good that now <laughs> you're like, eh, it was just okay? Because I talked to several people the last couple of weeks and they're, they all said that they thought the quail hunting was exceptional. Yeah, in Kansas. So maybe, and I know you're finding the best of the best stuff out there because I know you, and you don't stop until you find it. Um, do you like what does a good day of quail hunting in Kansas like look like to you? Well, it's all relative, like you said, right? I mean, like that time when you and George were down in Oklahoma, yeah, you're talking twenty some coveys a day, like yeah. When you compare it against that, like everything's going to be tough, right? Yep. But, you know, if I could go out on public land and find six to eight coveys a day, I'd be, I'd be happy on private. You know, a good day looks probably like eight to 12 coveys a day gotcha. would be a really good day. So. And then what were you finding this year? Um, so on, on prior, and again, I'll caveat this with, um, the times I was hunting on private land, I was probably finding, yeah, anywhere from from eight to six to eight to twelve, somewhere in there. And then on the public stuff, and granted, this could just be the area I was in, right? Like guys, I know guys do a lot better, but the areas that I hunted on public were not great, like two, three coveys a day. So a little tougher. And again, that was so I went back in January and that's when I hunted that public and it it, you know, they've been pressured for, really? for the last three months of the season. So yeah, it makes sense, but still enough where I, I wasn't like, okay, I would just want to go home. So yeah. Covey sizes. Um, really varied on the, again, the public land stuff. It was, it was significantly less. Um, saw a lot of like six to eight bird coveys and, I, I, and I did find a, a few, you know, they say quail don't really like covey up, like multiple coveys come together. But I saw a few that were 12, 14 birds still. Huh. And then on the private land, I was finding some 20 bird coveys. So, wow. Yeah. So did you hunt through, I know you went to Kansas multiple times, mm -hmm. right? So were you hunting, where did you spend your December and January? So December I spent in... Minnesota and South Dakota hunting pheasants and Minnesota was fantastic this year. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was great. Um, that except for the days where you said, don't go here, here, here. Yeah, they yeah. are not, they are well, not staying in the County as soon as you walk out. Oh yeah. There are a couple, <laughs> couple of properties. I don't know what it was just the day, but I was hunting with Will Clayton from pheasants forever. And, yeah. and, uh, and it was just, we saw a ridiculous amount of birds, like crazy, but we couldn't get within 150 yards of them. Did that, did that, um, 
so that was been late November ish. Yeah, I think early, it was early December ish. Because yeah. I was in the same area yeah. as you were hunting and we were we were filming the show and uh turns out we were potentially on some of the exact same properties. Yeah. And yeah, those birds were they didn't have snow. They were very educated. They mm-hmm. were running like track stars out there and they were they were flying, you know, couple, they basically like to keep about 200 yards between them and you. Yeah, exactly. They yeah, were just, can't just, blame them. Yeah. <laughs> can't blame them at all. Did it change for you though, as the season kept wearing? Yeah. So it, it was just, again, just a matter of finding the right birds at the right time in the right places and they would hold. So the next day, the day after I was texting you saying, don't go here, here, here. <laughs> yeah. The next day we were done by noon. So yeah. And just... I went over to this place and that was not a good choice either. <laughs> I would say for me, you know, I got to hunt like you, I hunted a variety of birds mm-hmm. all over the country and it was a challenging season for me for for several reasons. Our hunt in Montana was not challenging. Yeah. That was about <laughs> as fun as it as you could have following bird dogs out in the open prairie. Mm-hmm. That was phenomenal. We saw just oodles and oodles of birds, almost too many. And it yes. was, you know, the days ended too quick sometimes. You just kind of want those days to last. But ptarmigan hunting up in the mountains, that that was brutal because of the blizzards and you're committed and you know, like we'll, we'll get into this, you know, your ability to move and be, um, be flexible when you go on these trips, hunting public land, you want to be able, don't, don't get stuck in saying, I'm going to force this to work. If it's not working, move. Well, when you're at 13,000 feet and you're on the side of a mountain, that's your, you're committed for the day. Cause it's took you two and a half hours to get there. Yeah, and you then can't be too to, flexible to, just, to just drive there. Then a two hour hike to get to the elevation where the birds are, you know? And then, um, you know, a certain amount of daylight so that you're kind of committed there. And you know, that was tough. And, and I just, there was a stretch there where we were prairie chicken hunting on horseback and the horse, the horse element was awesome, but also that is a whole nother element too. And, you know, it, it made the hunt a little bit challenging at some points. And, you know, I just, there were some days and then even, you know, I hunted in South Dakota, I did a road trip, a three-state road trip. And we found just piles of birds in Iowa and then all of a sudden we crossed the border into South Dakota and it was 60 mile an hour winds oh. and runners, track stars, and we couldn't stop them and hayed fields. And I mean, just like it was highs and lows throughout the season. Yeah. You know, so overall, how would you rate your season overall? It would be a, give it a grade. You know, I hunted a lot more than I've ever hunted in a season before. So um, I, I would have to give it this has probably been my best bird year ever yeah. just because I've got to hunt that much. Um, yeah. So it would be a nine or a 10 for me. Nice. So do you think your, um, your new pointer pup had anything to do with that or was it still a, a learning season that he maybe didn't elevate your hunting game? Yeah. I mean, there were definitely with him, especially hunting pheasants was challenging and I didn't, I purposely didn't hunt him on pheasants a whole lot. Um, but yeah, it was hard. Like to, if I would have, if that would be my only dog hunting public land pheasants, yeah. it would have been an awful year. Yeah, it would have been, it would, <laughs> I should say that. I mean, in, in terms of shooting birds, it would have been awful. But yeah, yeah, it's just it would have been tough. But then you look. Why at, is that though? Why do you say that? Ah, uh, because well, you know, a lot, a lot of those birds on public land they don't hold. Mm-hmm. They're 
either you're probably just your as, dog goes on point but the bird is as you're walking up to it is getting 50 yards 100 yards yeah. 200 yards ahead you know yeah and so like that that time i called you and said don't go here don't go here <laughs> but he would go on point and hold and i'd walk up and then 200 yards or 100 yards i'd see a bird flush it's like dang it so they just they're just not willing to hold and it yields itself more towards a closer working pointing dog or even a flushing dog. Um, but then, you know, you take that and then you look in the grouse woods and he definitely elevated my, my season. Um, just because he was, he's, he's a lot more cautious than my draughts, covered a lot more ground, found more birds. Um, and that was the same for hunting quail in, in Kansas as well. Just covering a go. lot of ground. Yep. Well, you, before we started recording, we were talking and you said that Amos pointed uh, uh, a woodcock at 500 yards, mm -hmm. you know, and most people in the woods, they want to see their dog. Most yeah. people, I would say, mm -hmm. they want to keep that dog within 30, 40, 50 yards, depending on how thick the woods is. If it's real thick, good cover, 30 yards is, you know, beyond what you can see. Yeah. Um, so you're confident to let your puppy at eight, nine months old go 500 yards away in the woods. Yeah. You're not worried about deer, rabbits, skunks, <laughs> porcupines, wolves, coyotes, anything else. You just have at her, bud. Well, when he's when he, like 500 yards is way too far. And when, <laughs> That's a long, <laughs> way yes. too far. And yeah. when he went on point. I was just like, okay, please just like, I'm going to see you moving on the GPS screen again. Yeah. I gave it like 30 seconds. I was like, dang it. Like, you gotta be, like I don't want to walk 500 yards. So like that is way too far. And we kind of rein that back in, but some of those early days, yeah, you know, he'd make some like four or 500 yard casts. And it was just like, Oh, please don't go on point. Please don't go on point. Well, yeah, but when the bird got up in front of him though, I mean, you had to have been pretty pumped about that. Oh, I was. Cause I think that's ultimately, like you said, he upped your, your yeah. game in the woods and like for a, for you to have the confidence in a dog to be able to go out, like that's why I got Daisy. Yeah. Because I saw that ability in George's dogs, mm -hmm. in Tyler's dogs to be like, hey, you go, you go, girl, you go, boy, go yeah. find them. And I'm just going to go on a casual walk. If you, if you pin one down at 400 yards, cool, I'm going to come over it, you know, and yep. that's what I wanted. So how did you get to that point? And I want to talk about your, your training with Amos to get to that point. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it's just, it's a hard transition from, like you said, having a dog that's under 50 yards. Because you, you have always, two draughts. Yep. Yep. And pretty much I'll, they stay under 100 yards for sure. And the grouse woods are under 50 for the most part. But yeah, even when we've hunted in the Dakotas and Montana, I feel like your dogs are always within 50 yards. Of pretty you. much. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's, you know, my training for mostly hunting pheasants with them. But, yep. um, you know, the biggest thing is, just when you're with that kind of dog, it's just like, all right, just thinking rationally about it. Like what's the worst that can happen as long as that? I mean, there's lots of bad things that can happen, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. but, but it's just like, okay, I want, you know, I, I expect some sort of cooperation. Like granted, yeah, there's a lot of times where he went and ran 500 yards and it's like, I don't want that. It's you're going too far, but it's just, just letting that dog learn. I, I'm a big you know, exposure is huge and just getting them out in that environment. Yep. And they learn, I mean, they learn what if to they do. Bump, if they bump a bird, they realize they're never going to catch it. Yeah. They're not going to catch that. They need us if they want that prize, mm -hmm. if they want that bird in the mouth. Well, which is another interesting aspect too, because 
Amos could care less for the most part about getting a bird in his mouth. Really? He's, so he doesn't like to retrieve or he nah, won't? Uh, if I wanted him to retrieve, I'd probably have to force fetch him to retrieve, but yeah. he could care less. His reward is like, is finding the bird and stopping. So I'd, he'd go on point, I'd shoot a bird and poof, he's gone. Gotten on to the next Yeah, thing. he's like, oh, well, see you later. Good yeah. to see you again. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it was really, so back to your question, it's just more about just, I guess, blind trust, right? Like just saying, yep. Let's learn together and let's let's go. We're hunting these big blocks of timber and I've got you on a GPS. So without a GPS, there's no, I mean, the guys that did it back in the day, right? I would be leaving the kennel with a blanket on a lot of roads because yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't, I, you know, I'd never know. Right. So if you're an avid outdoor enthusiast like me, then odds are good. You have toys and equipment that you need to haul. Aluma trailers. Well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa, right here in the good old USA. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say Aluma trailers tow like a dream. They are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. For everything that gets you outdoors, Aluma Trailers will help you get there. For generations, bird hunters have hit the field carrying some form of a vest or game pouch on their back. Sometimes the vest rip, tear, and fall apart. Other times they're just downright uncomfortable. That's why Chief Upland designed a vest that's durable, comfortable, and fits your needs. Their new Upland vest is fully customizable to fit the size and shape of all hunters. Plus, you decide where you want to attach your shell pouches and accessories. Birds can be front-loaded into the game pouch, and they fit nicely in the back without sagging. That's a big deal because the weight disbursement on your back and shoulders won't tire you out, even with a full pouch of birds. The vest itself is extremely lightweight, weighing only 2.56 pounds. The material is built out of Cordura fabric, which is the same waterproof fabric used in tactical military gear. You can confidently hunt with the Chief Upland Vest in some of the world's toughest environments. Order your Chief Upland Vest now to make sure that you're ready for your next hunt. Push further and hunt longer with the game-changing vest from Chief Upland, built for your pursuit. So you got Amos last spring. Yep, April. In April, and he was two months old? So, yeah, he was eight weeks. Eight weeks? Eight yep. weeks old, okay. so, yeah. Gotcha. Training started for you when? Right, I mean, from, right the, the, from, from the day I picked him up. And, yeah. And, you know, George, with his new little puppy, he's taking it. Yeah, our buddy George yep. Lyle got a puppy, too, so there's more conversations. I mean, if you followed Ben or me... Or uh, this podcast for any amount of time, George Lyle's name has come up almost every week. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's like um, he's my go-to. Uh, and last week I I did a listener mailbag type of show and I answered questions. And one thing I mentioned was just how important having somebody that you trust as a mentor, mm -hmm. a friend that you can go to. You, George, and I have. Uh, a text thread that has been going since <laughs> you got your, since before you got your puppy yeah. last year. And we're, we're talking to each other constantly and it's great to have that community. Mm -hmm. um, George obviously has over 30 years of dog training experience and he's willing to share them. 
that knowledge with you and I, which is such a blessing, but even you and I are like, Hey, what do you, cause we're going through similar things at yeah. similar times. And it's nice to know, be like, Hey, that's okay. You know, yep. that's okay. Or congrats, man. That's mm-hmm. awesome. You know, we pump each other up when, when good things happen. There, there's a little dog in that goes on too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. Totally. Totally. Yeah, definitely. We keep, we keep it lighthearted and fun yeah. and that's important as well, I think. But anyway, to go back to the, to having somebody that you trust Yes. and, and then starting from that point, which I think is important and then choosing the training method that you want to go with and, and tr- believing in it, trusting yep. it, you know, and you and I can speak to the hunt, Huntsmith training, mm-hmm. silent, tra- silent command training method because we've done it now and we've seen our friends, dogs, you know, kick a word out there yeah. in the field after yes. doing it too and be like, that's what I want. That's yes. what I want. So you knew what you were going to do going into it, right? Yeah. So I had the two drafts I had trained differently. It was, you know, totally different testing system, but all the bird work stuff was different. So can we, can you explain that though? Yeah. The, the draught training system that you went with and why? Yeah. So, so like with draught hires there, it's a complete versatile dog. So you're not only training bird work, but you're training, you know, you've got the trained retrieve, you've got waterfall work, blood tracking. Um, you know, in Germany, they value uh, a lot of work on fur. So foxes, raccoons, rabbits. Um, so just, just a, a wide, a, an array of different things you have to train for. With Which the method did you go with? Did you have well, one in particular? So it's interesting because you're, with that, I really, I mean, you're hobbling together a bunch of different things because, for example, like with the Huntsmith, that's mostly for bird work, for pointing. Um, I couldn't, you know, they don't have a method for teaching. They, like, for example, a fox in a box or or blood tracking. So you're really using a bunch of different systems, specialty systems to train that dog um, as a versatile dog. So... How did you have any confidence knowing that what you were doing was working? Oh, it it was tough with with the draughts. Um, it's so overwhelming because there's so much to train for, but it's uh, just being consistent and and eventually you'll see you you start to see results, right? Um, getting ready for the tests, it's like you're you're just a ball of nerves because there's a hundred different ways you could fail, but it's just a matter of chipping away at it. You know, people always say that it's better to, you know, train for three times a day for five minutes versus, you know, two hour block type thing. So it's just every day, just a little bit here and there. And that's what I was kind of saying with George and having a new puppy. Um, you know, he takes his, his every single second as a training, you know, a teachable moment mm-hmm. to a different level. So it's just really just chipping away at it. And, and instead of getting discouraged or, um, you know, feeling like, oh, I can't do this. It's just, you know, or just do a little bit here and there, and then you end up chipping away and making progress and it keeps building. So I went with, uh, the short three times a day training. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, do things in threes, yep. things in threes and sevens, dogs learn in threes and sevens. I don't know why, but I went with the three out of the seven. Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes seven reps is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, there's, there's definitely something to it. Um, what, at what point were you comfortable introducing Amos to birds at what age? So I actually, um, I went over I think he was nine weeks old. It was a week after I got him. I went over to Sunny Peacars over in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and George said, "Yeah, come on over. We're going to be hanging out, running dogs, having a good time." And 
And so I was able, able to go over there and, you know, I thought he was too young. I, 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 sh I shouldn't say that, but, you know, Sonny is, you know, he does it for a living. He's a professional dog trainer and he grabs this little pup. He says, all right, let's go. And we hobbled birds and he was, I mean, nine week old puppy, little thing. And, <laughs> and he was mauling birds and Sonny's like, well, let's get out the starter pistol. And I was like, whoa, like, <laughs> He's like, this dog loves birds. Like he's mauling these birds. Let's try it. I'll back up way aways. And, and I was just sitting there like, if I didn't, if his reputation didn't precede him, I'd be like, no, get, right. get, get out of here. <laughs> like, yeah. And so sure enough, by the weekend, we took half a dozen shots around him and he could care less. He was just loving on those pigeons. So. Sweet. That's a confidence boost too. Yeah. Yeah. When, if you said, if your reputation, you know, mm -hmm. wasn't so good, you'd, well, that's the thing about I've been fortunate that I've gotten to hunt with a lot of different people, a lot of excellent trainers, mm -hmm. excellent dogs. Um, and you learn stuff from, from each one of them. Mm -hmm. Everyone has gone through, you know, their dog running away at one point mm -hmm. or, you know, different, different lessons. Um, but it's cool to, to interact with other people and see them and let them, you know, teach you and yes. always being a sponge. And that's what I try to do is always be a sponge, whether it's, you know, the people I'm hunting with or their dogs or whatever it might be, you know, asking a lot of questions. So, um, what was the most challenging thing you learned about training Amos this year? Um, it was just the transition and like the, the, the mental space to be able to, uh, just, just, I guess I was stuck in like, all right, this is what I expect. This is what I expect out of a dog. And then having actually to, to shift those expectations up, like, okay, I can expect a lot more out of you in the bird work department. So I was, I was probably actually holding them back to an extent just because I had this picture of what it was supposed to be. And in reality, he was able to. You mean like a timeline in your head of yeah. when he would be at certain points and he. Uh, well, and just like, I guess it was, um, you know, let's just say, for example, we were out in the grouse woods and, you know, he would be running three two, 300 yards. And I was nervous and he was doing what he was supposed to be doing. And I, he would go on point and I was like, and he had a couple, whether they're false points or he bumped a bird. I was just like, all right, you're, you're, uh, you're not doing it right. And again, I have to realize it's just a puppy. Right. Yeah. And, and then he started going on point and pinning down birds. And I was like, huh? Like, I don't know if I trust you still. Like, <laughs> You've proved to me that <laughs> yeah. you're a little shyster. Yeah. And, and so he started doing it and like, I was, I was not confident in him when I really like, he was doing what he was supposed to. And so just saying, okay, like I can, I can trust you. Like I, and also that happened quick. Yeah. That happened really quick. Cause some people don't get to that point for, for two years. Well, and it's just, and for a lot, of, it's just blind trust, right? It's, it's more like, I don't, I'm trusting you. I know you're going to make mistakes, but I, yeah. I, I guess I trust that you're learning more. So like, I can't control that. Yeah. I don't have like, you have to make mistakes to learn. So it's trusting to make mistakes, I guess, and being okay with that. One of my challenges with Daisy and she got this trait from her mom, apparently. So Tyler told me after the fact that she liked to bark. Her oh. mom likes to bark when she finds hair. 
So rabbits, squirrels, deer. Yep. Um, but Daisy was doing the same thing. So we're in the woods. I can't see her. And all of a sudden she's barking and the, the numbers are going up on the oh, GPS. Gosh. I'm like, oh my goodness, what in the world? So it was always the hardest part when I couldn't see her to know what was going on and to be able to fully trust her. I couldn't fully trust her when all of a sudden she's hunting out of sight and now she's barking and I don't know if she's chasing a, a grouse mm -hmm. or a woodcock or did she, you know, like, did she jump something? Is it a rabbit? Yeah. I have no idea. There's so many things going on in the woods and I tried to, you know, that was, that was a big, um, learning curve this year for Daisy and I in the woods was what in the world is this barking? This has got to stop. We have, we are not hunting fur. You are a bird hunter. And yes. You're not a flusher. You are a pointer. <laughs> and getting working through all that. So my confidence in the forest is not what yours became so quickly. I did not let her get to that three, four hundred yard distance. I, I held her in and I probably held her back. You know, in hindsight, I look back at it and I probably could have let her not, I don't want her to chase an animal. Yeah. You know, I could stop her, but, um, it's, there's just like the thing about working with dogs and puppies is nobody has every single answer. Yes. You know what I mean? Like there's so much to learn and it's constant. And that's what I'm learning is constant. It's learning on the fly and being able to take the emotion out of it and then try to think logically about what's going on here. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, keep going. We're um, you're you're at a point now where um, pretty much like you would take Amos anywhere, right? Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, I would feel comfortable. Like, I, I take that back. Like the one area that I don't feel comfortable still taking him is, or I guess with the saying that I don't feel comfortable being successful in terms of hunt shooting birds is like uh, small acreage pheasant stuff. You know, if you're trying to hunt like a ten acre chunk or a a uh, 15 acre chunk. I still don't like it. I don't think I'm not setting him up for success. I don't feel in like in terms of shooting birds, we're going to be successful because he can, I mean, just like Daisy, like yeah. he can be across an 80 in 10 minutes and working backwards. So, yeah. um, and that's something we have to you, work on. So here's what I experienced that first season with Daisy. Um, we would get to these small chunks, you know, and, and where you and I live here in central Minnesota, most of the time you're getting like a 40, 80, mm -hmm. a 160, you might get a 320 acre piece, uh, small chunks. And for the most part, you can look at this strip of willows and say like, that's where they're probably going to be, yep. you know, and she goes flying through it because she's so jacked up to hunt that she didn't, you know, like I wished there were times when she was a puppy that first year that I could have just said, um, I'm going to drop you off here. I'll meet you at the spot. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. 10 miles away. It's because I wanted her to get that energy out. She's so excited that she wasn't hunting right off the bat. And by the time she would get to the point of hunting, she'd already scared every bird out of this piece yeah. or we had already walked through or whatever it might be. And I'm like, God dang it. Yeah. So that was my struggle with small spaces. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, really for me, I think that's a shortcoming as a dog trainer for myself. Like I just... Yeah, I, I'm sure we could go talk to whoever and they could be like, yep, do this, this, and this. And um, yeah, we can, we can make it work. We can, we can fix that. Or, yeah. but I just, I, I don't, 
Like, I, I don't know what to do. Why? I mean, I guess I could start to figure out what to do. I guess I don't know if it's, I don't care enough what to do, but yeah, yeah, there's a lot to learn. Yeah. There's a lot to learn. Yeah, I am not a, not a pro dog trainer. I'm not, I'm a mediocre to poor dog trainer, <laughs> no, I but I like to listen to people that are good ones. And it I think is that amazing. Helps. It is amazing. And here we are talking about it right now, hoping to help somebody out yes. with their dog. So maybe we're just letting you know that we're in it with you. Yep. Ex- <laughs> Solidarity. If, yes, exactly. We feel your pain if you're yeah. going through those, those times because they do last not very long. Yep. It, it flies by, you know, and here we are. Another hunting season has passed and, you know, hopefully you're still hunting somewhere. Um, but if not, we're talking about it now yep. and reliving those moments. What was your best hunt of the season? Hmm. It would, it would be hard to, hard to beat Montana with you guys, with you and George. That was, you know, for me so much like, you know, I've, I've, had the opportunity to hunt birds a lot of places you know it's not about how many birds you shoot it's fun when you do get into a lot of them but more so just hanging out with good people and having fun like yeah granted if we went out there and we didn't shoot a bird we'd still have a blast but what i'd be saying like that was my most fun hunt probably not probably not yeah (laughs) so it definitely plays a part but i had just an absolute riot same yeah same here i've been on you know i I mentioned earlier that it was there were some challenging hunts but there were all some great ones too Mm -hmm. at the same time so that's the beauty of hunting is the next day could be the best of your entire season um, you do one thing every year at the end of your season that I like, and I, I look forward to it. You do a gear review yeah. on your Instagram page. Uh, does that, is it still alive? Cause I know you do it on your stories and stories don't last forever. Yeah. It's still up. I think you can okay. save the stories. So I think you can go click on the, you can the, see the 21 and 20 gear reviews. So gotcha. Well, let's get into gear review then because, you're a do-it-yourself hunter that, like you said, 84, 85 days in the field this year. Mm-hmm. One, two, three, four, five, like five or six, seven different states you mm-hmm. hunted in, variety of different birds. So you're out there, you're putting things through the the test. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anything stand out to you this year? Well, I will say you work for Onyx. Mm-hmm. Um, without Onyx, I don't think you would have found <laughs> hardly any of those birds no. uh, or it would have taken you a lot longer. So anything with Onyx that helped you as a hunter this season? Yeah. The the big thing is just going out and, and I've harped on this before, but for me is being able to find new spots is all about knowing, essentially translating what satellite image imagery looks like on the ground. So being able to scroll on a map and say, all right, I know what this is going to be and there should be birds in there. Mm-hmm. So like the just continuously getting better at honing that in and then obviously having the private and public overlaid mm-hmm. is, is a game changer. And then like this year when we've released crop data yeah. um, just for scouting before the season is, I mean, it just gives you that much more information. And again, this year was super important because like I said before, you're, you're picking out those small little spots. So mm-hmm. now I can say, okay, there's probably corn here. I'm going to go focus on this one instead of getting out there, wasting time, having to drive to a next spot. Yep. Um, that was huge. And then uh, later it was, it came at the, towards the tail end of grow season for me, but, um, that, uh, we really, the timber cut either. Yep. The young Aspen layer. That was, that was great. Just, I mean, did it open up for you being that you spent so much time in the grouse woods, um, 
for years and years leading up to this. Did it open up new areas where you're like, huh, never thought about going into that piece of this property before because you could see it from, yeah. you know, it separated the young Aspens from everything else. Yeah. And, and it was, it was interesting for me. Grouse hunting was, you know, I grew up doing it and in probably in the last 10 years, I haven't done that much of it a little bit here and there. Just when I was living down South, obviously it wasn't grouse hunting a whole lot. Yeah. So it was kind of like relearning and all my covers were different. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they had all grown up. You had a, you went into it with a fresh yeah. slate kind of. Yeah. So it was like, okay. And I'm going to, you know, the, the places I hunted before were just by convenience and happenstance, not necessarily like these are the best areas I should be going. Mm -hmm. So it was fun to just so first off, it was a little intimidating, like, especially in the woods. I have a hard time, like, the woods get a little intimidating because it's, grouse are such a nuanced creature. Yeah. Where pheasants, it's like, you find the right grass, you find food, there's pheasants there. But grouse, it's like, okay, in the mornings, they're going to be here if it's warm, if it's cold, early season, late season, it just completely shifts. And they've got so many different food sources. Uh, it can get complicated, right? Yeah. So... Well, that's why trusting your dog to run 500 yards in the woods will cover all of those food sources for you. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I mean, that to have like a, a pretty much map showing, okay, hunt these spots. Yeah. Like, yeah. It, it's just like it, it kind of gets you, it makes you confident enough to get into the woods and just start going and saying, I, I have a. I have a degree of confidence that I can go off of yeah. and go find birds. So, well, the, the gear, you know, getting back to the gear yeah. review, you know, like for me, Onyx is always on every time I'm hunting or not even hunting, traveling, driving in the country. I'm always like pulling it up and making notes somewhere. Mm -hmm. yeah, and I took a note out of your book. I, I changed the colors depending on what, what each color means something different mm -hmm. to me. Um, so if I drop a red pin, it might say, this looks good. I want to come back here. Blue is, you know, money or green yep. or whatever it is, you know, for you, um, the color means something like, yes, I've hunted it, confirmed my hunch. Yep. Yes, there are birds. You can make notes on it too. But even if I'm, let's say I'm deer hunting and I walk by a bunch of grouse, you know, I'm coming back here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm coming exactly. back. You yep. know, so it's, it's one of those tools that it obviously... Obviously, if you're an upland bird hunter and you've never used it, you need to try it next season. Uh, free is it still a free ten day yep. trial? Seven day trial. Yep. Seven day trial. Mm -hmm. So if you've never used it, just start it before your next hunt. Especially if you're going to go hunt public land somewhere that you've never hunted before. And I'm pretty sure you'll get why we talk. We all talk about it so much. Just yes. you know, can you say is there anything new coming out that you're excited about? We'll have some. We'll have some some new things for okay. the for the bird hunter coming out this summer that sweet that'll be awesome so sweet i'm i'm looking forward to it. i got to mess around with a few of the things yeah. this year and you can i play with it a little bit beforehand yeah okay yep. sweet okay yep. uh what else did you use that you know outside of your wheelhouse obviously yeah um uh, so probably one of the biggest things for me was getting a decked storage system in the back of my truck it's okay. you know if you haven't seen it essentially like a drawer system that you can store things in. Sits, it sits in your truck bed. Yep. Yep. And it slides out drawers with a bunch of different separators. You know, you can put guns in there and gear. Yeah. Uh, did it meet, exceed your expectations? It it exceeded it. It was, you know, I thought I had built them before. Like I had built them out of plywood. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, you know, they, they work. They serve their purpose. But um, 
I like when I'm out hunting, like everything has a spot. I like to be organized. And before it was, I had a, actually a bed slide system in there. Yep. I remember seeing that last yep. year, right? Yep. And so it was, it was, it worked well. Um, but then the problem is, unfortunately, I have a short bed truck. So it's like spaces of a premium. So I was setting things up on the top of the kennel and things were falling off the kennel, sitting in the wheel wells, and it just didn't feel right. So I got this deck system and it's great because like the there's boxes I put my collars in, boxes where the shelves go in, yep. first aid, like everything has a spot. It's super organized and Normally, by the end of the year, my life is just a mess. I've just been running too hard. <laughs> yeah. And so just stuff is strewn everywhere. And I, I was old actually running the dogs up in Wisconsin right before Christmas, actually like Christmas Day. And I was I stopped there and I was sitting by the tailgate. I was like, wow, everything is organized still. It's like, that's a miracle. Yeah. To know where your stuff is is so important. I talked about this two weeks ago on, the, on a show. I... Almost got bit by a rattlesnake in Arizona. I was you and George and I were yeah. talking about this, but I didn't bring my hearing, my sound gear, and you know, there's certain instances where I want to have that enhanced, you know, because my hearing is so poor. Mm -hmm. Well, the problem is I'm in Arizona and sitting in my truck, right where mm. I know it is supposed to be, is my little sound gear case, uh -huh. and I forgot it. You know, that's why I love having my truck wherever I hunt, just like you, because I know where everything is. And here, you know, you you did television for years, too. You get it. There's so much other gear yes. besides the hunting gear that you're bringing. You know, I've got four other cases with camera gear, and I've got to get everything, make weight, and blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm mean, just like, yes. you forget stuff. Whereas in your truck, you want to have, like... Before season, it just looks so great, mm -hmm. you know. And then at the end of season, I have the the Lear Locker. Now, now mine hangs up on the top of my uh, truck topper, mm -hmm. and then it slides down. And whenever I go anywhere, and I and I open it up and I slide down, and there's you know a twelve, twenty, and a sixteen gauge I get to choose from, and then I've got my mm -hmm. um, my different ammo, uh, you know my you know like just having that organization. So you know between the decked and then the Lear Locker um, options, you've got two options to go with. Yep. Um, both of them as a traveling hunter or anything like right now i've got ice fishing equipment yeah. in the tackle boxes i've got a bunch of other stuff and I've, I've always got some hunting related stuff but like i've got a toe strap in there i've got a, sh a shovel that extends i've got jumper cables i've got a lot of stuff for when things happen on the road i'm ready for it i've got yes. a pump tire pump i can pump somebody up pump you up yeah um but i've used the toe strap multiple times to pull strangers out of the ditch to pull things out that I never anticipated coming across, <laughs> but like, I'm ready for anything, man. I'm almost ready for anything because I've got a sweet little storage system going on there. So I would highly recommend the Lear Locker as well. And I know you recommend the deck system yeah. too. It's just, yeah, it's just having some sort of system. It makes life so much easier and yep. yeah, just that peace of mind that you've got everything. Besides a bird dog, a shotgun, and a good pair of boots, the Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I've been talking about the Onyx Hunt app since we started producing this show, and that's simply because I use it on every single hunt. I'm serious. 
every single hunt. Their app tells me everything that I need to know about the lands that I want to hunt and the lands that I can legally hunt on. If you've used it yourself, then you know that the Onyx Hunt app shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It also tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state land, federal lands, walk-in access properties, etc. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during a hunt to help put together the patterns that day. The app also has new features this year that show you the kind of crops that are in fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. If you hunt grouse in the north woods, there's a timber cut layer to help you find ideal habitat. If you're planning to hunt North Dakota this year, then there's a very important layer that has been added to the app that lets you know if a property has been posted electronically. These are just a few of the tools Onyx Maps give us. And these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx Maps always help you to know where you stand. If you're like me and you love to hunt, there's a good chance you have a four-legged hunting partner that goes everywhere with you in the field. My dog gives me the best chance at finding birds, which is why I always want to make sure that I'm doing my best to give her food that helps her run at peak performance. I feed Daisy Nutrisource high-performance blends of dog food, which give me the confidence to know that she has all the nutrition that she needs to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. Nutrisource dog food comes with their good-for-life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well-being of our dogs. Take it from me and my dog, Daisy. Nutrisource high-performance dog food can help you and your dog excel in the field. Find the food that's right for your dog at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Do you, did you ever get any moisture inside? Cause I know you got your guns in there. Mm-hmm. You store your guns inside of that. So any moisture ever get in there? No, in terms of, uh, you know, I've got my topper, so that helps. But even if you yep. don't have a topper, um, there's no moisture issues. Yeah. You'll get, you'll get some dust in there. It's not dust proof. And some areas you go to, it's just inevitable. Dust will be in every single crevice of everything you own. So you cannot avoid dust no. in bird country. No, you yep. cannot. Yep. Okay. Moving on. What else? Oh, um, so it was year two. I had, um, actually I, so we'll start with, yeah, year two. So I've had a pair of pants, a first light saw bucks, um, got them two years ago and they've been unreal. I think I've put on probably two, 200, 250 days on them. Any tears? Nope. Nothing. And no crotch I, tear? No fence? No, no nothing? I'm shocked on the fence tear. It's <laughs> yeah. like, for how, I, I, that's next year I'm going to track that is how many fences <laughs> yeah, I have to go over. But no, they've been, they've been fantastic. And, um, I bought, I went and bought three more pairs this year. Did you just, really? Yeah. Just, just to have them. Nice. Well, that's the thing. So like I found, and I have a buddy, you know, him. Uh, if he finds something he likes, he buys like five of them because he knows at some point there's probably going to change something on it and doesn't want him to change it. So he's set for life. He's what he yep. always, So you go into his closet. I'm sure there's yeah. 20 of whatever pants he likes. And anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so keep yeah. moving. Yep. Um, the other thing that, the other thing that uh, go to again this year. So this year I started off with the uh, Benelli Monofeltro and 20 gauge. Beautiful gun. Love that gun. And yep. and then about halfway through the season, I picked up a Ethos, Benelli Ethos. 12 or 20? 20. Okay. I don't so know. So I've got an Ethos 12. Okay. Yep. And did you like it? Oh, I think it's a sweetheart. Isn't it something? Yeah. It's very similar to the Monofeltro. It's just a beautiful gun. Yep. And... I just, I've got so much confidence. Everyone just rags on me about shooting an autoloader. Sure. Which, yeah. whatever. 
whatever, George. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> so I loved that. That that thing is fantastic. It's um, it's nice to have a gun that you're confident in. Mm-hmm. I have switched around a lot the last couple of years, and it's easy to get caught up in your own mind when you're hunting and being like, oh, I missed. What the heck was I doing there? And then you're like, well, I haven't been shooting this gun, you know? And then all of a sudden you're thinking about it instead of just enjoying the hunt. You're thinking about your shot. You don't want to do that. Yeah. Confidence is huge when you're shooting. Yes. Um, I've fallen in love with the Ethos. So the, the, the Benelli Ethos 12 gauge is like, if I needed to hit a pheasant. Yeah. If like... Your life depended on it. My life depended on it. I'm going to that gun because Mm. I have so much confidence in it. And that goes for goose, duck, or geese, duck, you know, pretty much anything anything else if I need to hit. I'm I'm confident when I pull the trigger that I'm gonna hit what I'm shooting at. I love the gun. It's smooth, it's it's a beautiful gun. Yeah, it's a the, the nice thing is like when I go up and pull the trigger, I expect to hit it. And like it's nice, it like it's nice to know when you pull up and you miss, it's like it's easy to get over it because it's like, huh, that's weird. Huh, all right, well. Every time I go up to shoot, I expect to hit it. So yeah. that's nice. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, outside of that, uh, the, the thing is, is once I've been running a lot of this, a lot of these things for the last two or three, four five years. So kind of getting to a point where I've honed in a lot of my gear um, to where I'm, I, I know what to expect out of it. Um, another, so that's the big thing is like after a while, just getting, you know, you like this, you can trust it. That's yep. the biggest thing. What, whatever brand it is. Um, another thing I, I picked up this year was the cable gangs tie out. I think we use that in Montana. Yeah. yeah. Lined them up. Yep. And that's nice. It's all a coated wire and just super easy. We, I can put, I've got the four dog, four dog system. So I can put all my dogs out on the chain and, and have them out there. And that's. What did we have in Montana? It was more like a eight dog or did you do two? So we had, yeah, we had the four dog out and then George had his tieouts. Okay. There. That's why. Cause we had several between yeah. you, me, George, and, and Simon, we had, let's see, you had three. I had one, four, Simon had two, six, George had three. So we had nine dogs lined yeah. up along there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Actually, George, he, <laughs> I think he left Montana with mine and I, had, <laughs> I ordered another one. So I bought three of them now because yeah. people are like, Oh, can I, can I have this? Explain to somebody that doesn't understand a tie out. Why, why you would use that. Yeah. So a tie out, uh, different, couple different ways you can do it. Um, the one I have is it's essentially a long cable with, uh, spaced out every yep. so it's staked on both ends so yep. it's essentially a line uh, you know a cable staked in the ground and every f- four feet or so three feet there's a, a, a link that you connect to your dog's collar and then it goes down to the main line so they're stationary they can't move i mean they they can move within whatever that area they have but um it's great because they don't have to be in the kennel um, they can just, you know, lay in the grass, eat, they can eat on the gang, they can do whatever. Um, but it's a, obviously it's a great, it's a great training tool as well as it mm-hmm. is like a, I guess a, a storage tool, if you'd want to call it for dogs, but yeah, huge training yep. implications on that. So. Yeah. When we first started training out at Georgia's Daisy and I straight to the Straight to the cable. Yep. And she was part of the crew and they, they learn very quickly and there's manners that they need to respect mm-hmm. when they're on the gang as well. And yeah. it's all part of the whole training process. Yep. Yep. So when you get out there, wherever it may be, we've, 
we tied them down in the Badlands in North Dakota and Montana. I mean, dogs go on it and um, they're, they're, it's like, they know, all right. Yeah. We're, we're hunting. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So, um, yeah, I've had a, a, in terms of other gear, I've had, uh, I added a, actually a back seat organizer to my truck. I think Mud River makes it. Okay. Um, it just clips on the back of your, like you fold up the back seat in your truck and it's, I can fit three guns in it. And I've just got random accessories, gun cleaning things. I always carry around a like a twenty two mag, so I've got that sits in there. I've got shells. Uh, keep that's where I keep my hearing protection. Just odds and ends that I have a spot. So that's that's a that's something little that has mm-hmm. made a huge difference as well. So what do you use for hearing protection? Um, so I've got a pair of uh, sound gear that I that is I really it one like. of the which which model do you the remember? Phantom. The Phantom. Yeah. Okay. You like it? Yeah, love it. Yeah. Um, and I hate so with I hate hearing protection. Yeah, I hate wearing it. Most it people drives do. Me That's crazy. Right. Yep. Yep. But I mean, my dad, you're. I mean, my dad can't hear. I can't hear. I and and <laughs> it, it scared me a few times. I didn't. I was like, okay, I don't need to wear it. And then I had a few shots where it was just like, especially I had one this year grouse hunting. And I sh- I was hunting with my twenty eight gauge in the woods, and I got out of the woods, and my ears were ringing. Like bad. And then it was like, okay, eventually, you know, it goes away, whatever. But they say every time your ears are ringing, you're losing hearing. And, and like at night I was sleeping and they were still ringing and I was like, oh my gosh, like this is like, this really scared Scared me. So I really started being more conscientious of wearing it after that. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a great, you know, it's a great hearing protector. I, I love it. You know, when I'm stationary, let's say I'm goose hunting, duck mm-hmm. hunting, especially you got other people nearby. That's where I've had some of my scariest hearing loss moments growing up, starting early on back in grade school, high school. You know, you just don't, you don't, you, you don't think about those Nobody types of things. Nobody talked about it either. Yeah, exactly. And I learned the hard way. And when I finally got hearing aids and wore them for the first time, I could hear birds chirping again. And it was, I walked outside of the building and... I had lost certain frequencies in my hearing that I hadn't heard in years. Mm. So I just stood, it was like, I had this moment that came over me. I walk outside and the birds are chirping and I'm like, I realized I hadn't heard a bird chirp in years. Wow. You know, and you know, I'm sitting in a deer stand for eight hours, you know, sun up to sunset or, you know, dark to dark. And and for the last, how many years I've not heard all the beautiful sounds in, in nature. I'm sure the first time it was just like, you were just happy as a camper, just sitting there listening. You know, when you see those videos of young kids that have never heard and they get to hear and just the emotion that overcomes Mm -hmm. them. I actually had some of that. I I believe it. You know, like life is just amazing and we take for granted some stuff but hearing Mm -hmm. is a big deal and you know so now i've learned what i've done and the mistakes i've made and i went to starkey and got their hearing aids and highly recommend it highly recommend them and i know Mm -hmm. they work with people all over the country um and then sound gear as well and i don't always i do make some mistakes even you know this year having them i didn't obviously wear them (laughs) when i needed them in arizona again sorry mom um and then also um there's sometimes where it was really windy and I didn't wear them yeah. at that point because the they're they pick up noises, which means they also can pick up the wind. And in bird country, you've got a lot of wind. And so I'm trying to figure out my what my balance is there. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
anyway, highly recommend that. Protect your hearing. Uh, any other gear-related items that you've thought were, were great or even didn't live up to what you had hoped? Um, you know, I... <laughs> The one thing I, again, regardless of the brand, but spending the money on a good vest, a good technical hunting strap vest. Yeah. I mean, that has been the, the biggest thing for me is, um, and I've had three or four of them over the years and it's just so much nicer. You know, you talk to people that go from, um, go from like a vest style and go to a strap vest. They're like, wow, this is, this is incredible. Yeah. So just comfort and keeps the birds, keeps the weight where you want it to be. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a huge deal. I, I would agree with that. I've worn the Chief Upland vest this year and last year. I think that was the first year they came out with it, it was last year mm -hmm. and tried that. And like you, I've tried a, a variety of them. And for me, the biggest thing is, you know, I'm carrying dozens and dozens of big, huge birds. I only shoot the biggest ones too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But obviously, got birds in the back. You know, and it's not sagging down. I don't want them. I don't want them hitting the bottom of yes. my legs when I'm walking. Um, but also the other gear. Mm -hmm. You know, you got stuff in there for your dogs. You want to make sure that it's handy. It's right there. Um, you know, so having those extra pouches and and organizing, staying organized in your truck, just like you're staying organized yeah. in the field with the best. And just the the thing you realize is, if you want to stay out you got to be comfortable, right? Whether yeah. that's deer hunting, you want to be warm. If you're not warm, you're not going to be out there. But yep. same thing. Like if I'm walking and I'm sore, like, ah, oh, it's so easy to go back to the truck. Like, ah, oh, let's go and grab lunch and maybe we'll just hit it tomorrow. Type yeah. Deal. yeah. Yep. So, um, in terms of what didn't work. Um, so I had a bad, I've always been a Garmin guy. Alpha. I've got the alpha 100, but, um, always ran the TT 15 collars, the big, they're the full size ones. And with Amos, I was like, Oh, the mini it's smaller. Um, it, you know, in hindsight, it was probably just like the fact that it was newer. It's like, Oh, this is cool. I'll yeah. try this. And, um, if let's just say, if you're going to be going and buying a Garmin collar, just get the regular, the full size collar, unless you have a really small dog and you have to, So I had a lot of, a lot of issues with it. So what was happening? So, um, First, I'll start with the ticky tacky little things that drive me crazy. <laughs> so, it's completely it's it's opposite of the TT15 in terms of the layout. So this, so it's like OCD almost. The light there's a light on one side and a charging you know where you charge it on one side. Yep. And they're flip flop. So I had the light facing out and the strap would be backwards. So it's like muscle. And it wasn't just yours. That's just no, the that's design just of how it. it is. Yeah. Okay. So like muscle memory, I yeah. put the strap on the dog the same way. And, and I, with a TT 15 mini, it's different. It's reverse. And everyone was just like, well, I'll just change the light on the inside. It's like, well, it's principal at this point. Like <laughs> and I finally switched it after people were dogging on me, but it's like, just make, make it the same. Yeah. So that was the most minuscule thing ever. Yeah. But, uh, the, the one thing that got me quite a few times is, uh, I had a few instances where probably a half dozen times when, it would just kind of freak out and like aim. It said, okay, Amos is on point at 150 yards and I'd walk over there and he's nowhere to be seen. Huh. And it's like, and it would keep shifting me around. I was like, well, like, I don't even see him. Like it was a fairly open for one time. I can remember distinctly. It was pretty open. And I was like, I, I don't see him. I could, mm -hmm. I can see for 80 yards around me and I don't see him. So I shut it off, turn it on, didn't work. And finally we, I just started making, 
just big circles to try to find them. And I eventually found them, but that happened a bunch, um, certain times that it'll, it'll be offset. So if like we're walking in on a trail or on a road, I can see it on the handheld and he'll be 50 yards off to the side. And it's, so it's just 50 yards off of the location, which is huge in a lot of cases. Well, if you're, if that 50 yards means he's on private property, then that's a big deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially because you can overlay the Onyx yep. map on there too, to see the property boundaries. Mm-hmm. So you know where you're standing, you know where the dog is running. And then if he's off by 50 yards, that yeah. Yeah. And then, and then lastly, um, it, uh, every time I travel to a new spot, even if I go like 40, 50 miles, um, I've got to resync the collar. It it won't find the. Won't Do you find think the you collar. maybe got a bad one? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I've heard. So I don't know. Uh, probably not because I've heard when I put that story up, I had about thirty people that had similar really? experiences. So, but but in saying that, like Garmin, hands down, I think makes the best best GPS collar. Um, but just go with it. TT15 because I went through that. I looked at all the reviews and everyone said, oh yeah, the mini is just as good. And it's like, oh, I'll, go, I'll get that. So yeah. um, just a word of advice for people in the market for a- Because you've had great experiences with them. Love it. Yeah. I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade my alpha for, for yeah. anything. And I, I also run an alpha as well. Yeah. And yeah, I've had great experiences with it too. So yep. it's, I wonder, I mean, technology though, it's, yeah. it's, it's like- It could be a lemon, like you said. And yeah. Hmm. But well, yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's see. We're, oh my goodness. We've been talking for <laughs> over an hour and like 15 minutes, Ben. Mm. I want to get into, gosh, that's the thing about when I go, when I start talking hunting with my buddies, like we just, just, get wrong, right? we can just talk and talk. I want to help people be able, be able to hunt like you. <laughs> I want them to be confident hunters. So I, Talked about it at the beginning of the show. I'm going to stick with it. Ben, how do you become a confident bird hunter or a more confident bird hunter? It's a tough question. I think it's there's not like a perfect do X, Y, and Z and you're set for life. Mm-hmm. But you hunt public land. You find your own spots. You go out there in the field. You find the birds. And at the end of the day, like you come back with what you go for. You're a lethal bird hunter and very successful. So help help somebody that might say, gosh, you know, I want to be like that. I want to be better at it. I mean, where do I begin? Yeah. So th- that's like, I think we were, we kind of alluded to it a few times over the course of our conversation, but that's a, I mean, I think single-handedly doesn't matter if you have good dogs, you're a, or if you have bad dogs, you're a terrible shot. Like if you're confident that it makes all the difference, even yeah. if you're, you know, in my case, have been wrong a number of times. Uh, we all have. Yeah. Yeah. But um, the, the biggest thing is just getting going out there, just doing it and learning from your mistakes. And that's where, I, like, I think Onyx is so crucial to this. I couldn't do it without it just because now I know, like, the hardest thing, it's like, First off, you have to be legal, right? Like yeah. if you're afraid of if you're doing something wrong or you're you're on the wrong property or you're not supposed to be where you are, like that just ruins it right there. Like you can't be confident. You can't, your mind is thinking about a million other things yeah. and not going to find the birds. So knowing where you're standing is legal is obviously a huge. Deal. Yes. Yep. Exactly. Um the the next thing is is just doing the research beforehand 
So don't wait until you're in the truck pointed somewhere to be like, okay, where am I going? Like that, that's the hardest thing. Cause when you're in the moment, like you, you tend to make bad decisions Yeah. in terms of. Yeah. Cause you'll say, oh, we're already here. Yeah. Let's just try it. Yep. Let's just try it. You know, when somebody yep. says, let's just try it, it's <laughs> <laughs> usually not what you want to hear. So having, yeah, having a plan is super important. And, um, cause if you, if you just start driving and yeah, it's like, okay, let's settle for that. That, that looks okay. Um, so having that plan beforehand, knowing the spots you want to hit kind of the tactics you, you want to employ, whether it's pheasant hunting, hunting, okay, we're going to be hunting cattails. They should be in the cattails. Um, and so having that plan and then either that plan works or, realizing when it's not working and what you have to do. And a lot of that comes from, like I say, the biggest thing to get confidence is just go out there and do it. Time in the field. Time in the field. Yeah. And At what point in your hunt do you say you're, you're able to put together your pattern? Just set expectations for somebody. Is it like, I know you were in, in Montana for three weeks. Yeah. You know, at what point was it? hour five of the first day? Was it day three? I mean, what when you go to somewhere that you've never been before, mm -hmm. you don't ex expect to hammer them right out of the gate, do you? No. I mean, I, yes, I do. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I, do. Yeah, I do. I do, yeah. yeah. I show up to every spot, like... Otherwise, I'm not going to go there. If I don't show up thinking I am going to... Like, there yeah. is going to be birds everywhere, I don't go there. So... And granted, you have to have realistic expectations. Like I'm not going to go sure. uh, to Western Minnesota and expect to see 500 pheasants in the first field. Like, yeah. so you have to be realistic. But yeah, I show up every single hunt expecting I'm going to shoot my limit. Yeah. So, which doesn't happen. It happens rarely. Eh, I wouldn't well, say that. I don't know. More I, often than not, it doesn't. So sure. Uh, well, I will say though that making adjustments in the field is important, right? Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, so back to your, your original question, it's, um, like if it's not working or like how long it takes to put together a pattern was your yeah. question, right? So, uh, for the stuff I've done before, like I kind of know what to expect, right? Um, it's like if you're hunting pheasants and it's December, they're going to be in cattails. Um, but but there's a lot there's a lot of nuances to that. And when it falls apart, like what's like okay, we're not finding birds, or the birds are flushing out too far. Um, that's when you're not necessarily changing your whole strategy. You're just okay. Either I have to go to a new area, or I'm finding out of the way locations, um, and just trying to find the right birds, I guess, if that sure. makes sense. Yeah, I think that makes sense. An example might be you go into it knowing it's December and they're going to be in cattails and I'm going to the cattails. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a beautiful December day, Ben, and it's 30 degrees and there's no wind and the sun is shining. And now all of a sudden your plans of finding all the birds in the cattails mm -hmm. it might be three quarters of them are out in the corn stubble hanging yeah. out for the day. You know, so is it timing then? Does that yeah. change a little bit too? Or do you just get mad and then just keep walking just until keep, you, you well, get mad? Well, you'll eventually them. find yeah. them in the cattails, dang it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They'll You've got up. enough time. You just keep walking. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm leaving until you get back here. Yeah. I mean, I mean so it's hard because like for with pheasants, you know, I've been doing it for my whole life. So you, 
you can kind of figure it out. But I always like to go back to the example of one of the first times I was out in Montana, in central Montana, which looks way different. And I didn't know how to hunt Sharpies in central Montana. And I hunted for three days really hard. And I don't even think we moved a covey of Sharpies. So it's like, yikes, like this isn't good. Um, and that's the point where I was like, okay, we got to do something different. Drastically different. And, yeah. And so in hindsight, there's, you know, different ways to go about it, right? Like my go-to move is just to move. Like that's what I'm confident. Like if I'm not finding birds there, I'm going to go drive 50, 100 miles. And actually it happened in Kansas this year. I was hunting a piece of cut public or area of public land we hunted for two days and we're not we're moving very few birds and you know you can gut it out you can go try to find out of the way areas but a lot of the times if you're worried about bird numbers like just go somewhere else go drive 100 miles yeah well and and somebody that plans a hunt let's say they're they're coming up from georgia and they're Mm -hmm. going to north dakota because they hear oh how great it is and it is but they might not be having a lot of success and they might not realize that they might be off by 50 miles or Mm -hmm. 100 miles and how big of a difference that can make um at what point do you pull the plug and move and it's not always feasible for a larger group you're you're kind of like you're so self-sufficient that um, you're able to just make that call at any moment, but somebody else might not be able to. Yeah. So in that case, like, and you're the king of this. I learned this from you fishing. Um, it's you're 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 looking for little pieces of information to tie together a strategy, right? Yeah. Like it's all about the details. So in bird hunting, it's like, all right, I when you shoot a bird, when you're like, okay, I saw a bird here all right, sit down and think about it. Why was that bird there? What time of day? What was it doing there? And then try to find other spots identical, not close to that, but exactly like that. Exactly like that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's what I've done in fishing. You know, like I got into musky fishing over 20 years ago. And when we first when I first landed one, cause they didn't have any teachers to teach me back mm-hmm. then cause they were all stocked fish in these lakes. So it's not like my grandpa grew up fishing muskies. So for me, I kept a journal and I was like, why? And I started to piece things together. And as soon as I did, we just was like catch 10 a day. And I'm not exaggerating, mm-hmm. you know, that's, you know, official lifetime 10 times every day, you know, <laughs> but the, the details mattered there just like they matter in the field. And it might be, let's say for grouse or something, you can open up the crop right there. Let's figure this out right now. And you do that too. I've seen Mm -hmm. you and you're like, all right, they're eating buffalo berries or rough grouse are eating, you know, whatever it might be. But there's always, in my opinion, no fish or animal is where they are, are where they are on accident. There's a reason they're Mm -hmm. there. So yeah, like don't get close to it. Get exactly why was that bird right here? And it could be a patch of willows. You know, they are on the edge of a cornfield or whatever it mm-hmm. might be. I mean, that's obvious, but there's sometimes less obvious things, you know, in quail country or things that you might not be thinking about. So yeah, don't just throw that bird in the bag and keep walking. Just stop for a second and talk through it with your buddies. Mm-hmm. And especially if it's, if it's tougher hunting, like I, in this situation where, okay, we've been walking all morning, we shot one bird and like you said, it's maybe it's not feasible to move or we want to make sure that they're not here. It's those little details that 
stack up that can turn a really bad day into a good day. So, um, like planning and then the details, like two things that I know if I dig into those things, I can ultimately be successful. Yeah. Do you think, um, you know, for somebody to plan an extended trip would help them, you know, like maybe not an extended trip, but I, I think what I'm thinking about is like, go out on your own sometime, like to help them become a better yes. overall hunter, go out on your own. I know most of us like to go bird hunting with buddies and it's, you know, the reasons behind that and their dogs and everyone's dogs. And, but like the stuff you can learn by going on a trip by yourself for three, four five days, somewhere that you've never been before, you know, will will up your game for hunting anywhere and any bird you hunt just yes. because of you're forced to figure it out on your own versus going with somebody that's maybe been there and done that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't, I'll hunt alone, but like, I don't like taking trips alone for some reason. I don't like, I don't enjoy sitting at the hotel at night with nobody and just like sitting there twiddling my thumbs, watching TV. That's just, I know there's a lot of guys that love it. I don't, Yeah. but so I always say, just go find a, a buddy that's like-minded, right. That wants to learn and figure it out too and go with them. And cause the, the biggest thing for me too, is mentally, if I'm by myself, like, I'll just be like, Oh, this is terrible. Like <laughs> I, my dang, my bed looks, uh, I just talked to my <laughs> wife. I should, home looks pretty nice right now, especially yeah. when the going gets tough. But when you get another guy, yeah. you know, it's a morale booster, right? Sure. And so you can stick it out a little bit. You can stick it out and figure it out. So, yeah. and that's just, that's just me. There's, like you said, there's a lot of guys, but, but the big, the hard thing is in a group that uh, you've made a really good point. Like in a group, it's, it's hard. It's hard to be mobile. It's hard to it's like herding cats. It's trying to go. You might get three guys on board, but the fourth or fifth are like, well, let's just keep walking. Yeah. You know, and then before you know it, sunsets coming and you're like, crap, mm -hmm. that's not what we expected. Yeah. So that's one thing I hope actually to do more next year is hunt, you know, with one or two people hunting, you know, with quite a few this year. And it was great. Loved it. Had a good time. But um, I think you definitely learn more when you're by yourself, you're able to um, be more mobile make decisions like that's yeah th that's important yeah i would also say too um you know we've we talked about this last year when we sat in the ice house and and reminisced about our hunting season but just being confident in knocking on a farmer's door and mm -hmm. and just being able to have a conversation with them the conversation eventually leads to asking permission and if you do get permission like i've always said treat that farmer with so much respect or that landowner the rancher go out of your way to bring them a meal of fish or, you yeah. know, like I, I, my wife and kids made Christmas cookies and we dropped them off at mm. a bunch of the local landowners around here that let us go turkey, deer, pheasant, grouse hunting. And, um, I've got packages ready for the landowners up North. Mm -hmm. Um, one gentleman let me go out in his field and, and harvest a doe and I want him to taste the, the family sausage, yeah. you know, the old recipe that we've made for, for years and years because it's our own and just to give them a little care package to say thanks. So I, I'm coming back to, um, you know, we talk a lot of public lands and for good reason, you and I love them. We're grateful for mm -hmm. them. The further West you go, the more you have, the further Southwest you go, the more you have. Yeah. But, um, there's nothing wrong with stopping and, and knocking on somebody's door and striking up a conversation. You might be amazed at, um, the hunting 
that you might find on there and, um, you know, the fact that they might let you in. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a certain romanticism with public land for sure, but I, I get just as much enjoyment going knocking on someone's door and getting permission, making that relationship and hunting like it for me, I don't, I'm not any more or less like satisfied with, yeah, it, the hunt is the hunt. Yeah. You know, you get, still get to take your dog out. You still get to yeah. chase after the birds, and and you know, so for sure, definitely don't don't be afraid to to take a couple minutes no. if it looks good and it's not public. It might still be something that you can hunt. Oh yeah, you know, for it sure. could be a deer a deer lease or something. Or yeah. they, you know, they the family really only cares about deer and turkey, and they don't care about pheasants mm-hmm. or they don't care about sharp-tailed grouse or whatever it might be. So it's well, it's always worth stopping. You might might get a new friend out of the deal too. Yeah, the uh, I guess the the biggest thing. And my wife always says this is terrible advice, but it's my favorite piece of advice. Yeah. She's like, this is so dumb. Why do you ever say this? It's like, just do it. Go. Go. Like, make it happen. Do better. Try harder. <laughs> and she's like, that is the worst advice ever. But it's serious. Like, think about it. What's the worst that can happen when you go out and hunt a new spot? Like, okay, you didn't find birds. So what? Right. Like, you learned a ton in the process. You learned a lot in the process. And mm-hmm. yeah, I know time is precious, but anytime. That's a, that's a really good piece of advice when it comes to hunting because there are a lot of hunters that they might only have X amount of days a year to hunt. And they say, well, I know what I know at Uncle Jimmy's farm. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to go back there. And they don't, they may pass on an opportunity to go try something new. So take your advice, Ben. Just do it. Just, just, or yeah. Nike, or Nikes. Nike. You kind of stole that from Nike. No, oh, I've, been, I've been around for a while. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Just take Ben's advice and just do it. <laughs> ben, we could probably talk for yeah. a couple more hours on this. We'll, we'll do it again. I appreciate you taking some time. Yep, likewise. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, there's something that you have been able to take away from from this conversation that will make you a better hunter. Uh, you can find Ben on Instagram at the Ben Brennan. <laughs> it's no, just, just, uh, just do it, Ben. No, just, <laughs> just do it. Ben. Uh, it's Ben Brennan. Yep. At Ben Brennan. Yep. You can find his story with his gear reviews. You can find photos from his amazing adventures. Ben and I have, I'm excited because I'm going to head into the office here in a little while. We're going to, I get to relive our Montana Ooh. episode. Yeah. We're, we're working right now nice. on the television, on the production side of the, the hunting season right now working on the next season which is exciting and uh yeah we did we did find a lot of birds there uh where are we going to go next year we probably i mean we should probably go back to montana I know, I <laughs> but know. we gotta do something else too we, we gotta, gotta go do something completely different next year yep yep an island up in canada well I, i'm not gonna say no to that yeah yeah it's i want it's been years since i've been up there yeah hunting birds and i want to get back if we can get back who knows what's going to happen yeah. by this time next year uh but anyway our our episodes of the flush television show are streaming on our youtube channel if you've not been able to watch them because you don't have the the outdoor channel on your tv well you can watch them in their entirety from any mobile device or your computer every week on Monday, a new episode drops and will be for another couple months until our entire season is up. And then by then, gosh, new episodes will be kicking off on the outdoor channel again, another season. And we, it just never ends. Yep. It never ends. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to all that we had to babble about today. I will be doing it again in a couple of days. I believe 
might get you another episode yet this week. And then I'm having a baby, Ben. Oh, well, I'm not, but my wife is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm out next week. I think you're going to hear the, the lovely pipes of Sir, Sir Franz and Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, I'm Travis Frank reminding you to take the time to introduce someone new to the field.